I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. another episode of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. It's episode 29. I'm your co-host, as usual, Sam Thelman, joined as usual by Zach Folidor. Zach, how are you doing? Sam, I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, you know, we're here. It's 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 sports. I mean, it, I love that there's so many sports going on right now. NBA is back. we got the NFL Conference Championships game going on this week. Bunch of Mac basketball to talk about. All good stuff, and I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a in, an interesting day. I'm going to call this day the Tennessee transfer portal day, as we've seen <laughs> like ten or so Tennessee players just decided to take their talents elsewhere. While my Pacers are losing to the Mavericks right now, it's a it's a great day in general. But yeah. enough of that talk. Uh, we've got a bunch of uh, news to talk about. Uh, I guess we'll just start out uh, coming out of Buffalo. We got some news. Yeah, man, something we talked about uh, last week, and, and I got to give you credit. You said it might it might happen, and you ended up being right. So we talked last week about how we were surprised that uh, Kevin Marks was, uh, you know, had entered his name into the, the transfer portal, the running back from Buffalo. And, um, you know, we were both surprised by that. And he uh, he took some time, and he took, you know, about a week or so to weigh his options and announced the other day on Twitter that he's, in fact, going to stay at Buffalo uh, this coming year. So huge news for the Bulls. Like we talked about last uh, last week, he is going to be the guy for their offense next year. Uh, he was their second leading rusher this year, obviously a little bit overshadowed by Jarrett Patterson. Still, though, 112 carries, 741 yards, seven touchdowns, 6.6 yards per carry. You mentioned last week, Sam, the big performance he had in the Camellia Bull win over Marshall uh, with, with Jarrett Patterson sitting out. So some uh, great news for Bulls fans here and great news for the Mac in general. I think, you know, uh, this is a guy who was probably would have transferred to a power five program and uh, he's going to be one of the best players in the conference next year. So I'm sure, um, you know, probably a co- opposing coaching staffs aren't too excited to have to face him next year, but from a talent perspective for the conference as a whole, it's great news. Yeah, I will say uh, I was, like you mentioned, surprised that he's entering, that he entered the transfer portal at first. But when I saw he got, he's had interest from Power 5 and he got even a scholarship offer from Purdue, I'm kind of surprised he's actually staying. I I get it why he's staying. He's going to be the main guy there. He's probably going to get the bulk of the carries. He's going to be the main stud there. There's, I, I just don't really get the, maybe you want to see your options, but he got a scholarship offer. He got the interest from those programs. So I'm not really sure what he was going for. Uh, maybe it's just the familiarity of the offense. He stays in the system. He knows he's going to be the guy moving forward. There's no one ahead of him, I, I guess. But yeah, I'm, I'm just overall confused why he decided to enter the transfer portal and then kind of just like backed out. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think I think one of the things, one of the unintended consequences that we've gotten from the transfer portal here over the last few years 
you know, we, we talked about it last week with Stanley Berryhill when he, you know, entered in and committed to Ball State and then, you know, backed out of that and ended up staying at Arizona is I think that, you know, these athletes now, they can enter into the transfer portal without any penalty. You know, they can go in and see what out, see what else is out there, see what kind of interest they get. And if they don't like what they see, they can just stay where they're at. So I don't know if that was an, in, you know, an intentional thing. Uh, or if the NCAA kind of saw that coming when they implemented the transfer portal, but it seems like more guys are doing this and, and kind of just weighing their options, seeing what's out there. A lot of times they might realize that, you know, the other options that they have out there aren't any better than where they're currently at and they ended up staying. So yeah, it is interesting. Uh, you got to wonder about it sometimes why they do it, but um, Hey, you know, like I said, for the Mac and for, for a talent perspective for the conference as a whole uh, you got to be happy that, that Kevin Marks is staying. I'm excited to watch him next year for the bulls. And kind of staying on the same logs, we got some more transfer portal news, some some just uh, bad news coming out of Northern Illinois. Yeah, it's been a, an interesting couple of weeks for uh, for the Huskies, you know. And I guess to start with the story, what you mentioned, Sam, um, there was a last week on Friday, uh, January 15th, uh, six Northern Illinois Husky football players entered their names into the transfer portal. Now, hey, maybe some of them will end up staying. I don't know. But, um, you know, Sam, it's funny because we talked a lot during football season about how we were really impressed with the improvement of, of some of the young players for Northern Illinois this year and the team in general. You know, they didn't get into the win column, but they got better every week. And so now you see uh, six guys here at one time entering the transfer portal. You have to wonder what's going on in DeKalb. And, and some of these guys are, are, are guys that really uh, contributed. You know, Dennis Robinson uh, wide receiver this past year. He, 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 he just completed his junior season. He only had eight catches on the season, but he had two touchdowns. You look at another guy, uh, linebacker Vinny Labus, who was a red shirt junior. He didn't play this past year, but back in 2019, he started eight games and uh, was second on the team with 59 tackles. So these aren't insignificant pieces that are leaving. You have to wonder, like I mentioned, both of these guys are juniors, uh, maybe they're not on board with kind of the youth movement that coach Thomas Hammock is kind of implementing there. They've brought in a couple huge recruiting classes. You know, we talked about how this past season they had 60 plus freshmen on the roster. Maybe they just kind of saw the writing on the wall that some of these younger guys were going to take reps away from them. I don't know, but regardless, anytime you see six players from one program going to the transfer portal at one time, you got to be a little bit concerned if you're a Huskies fan. Yeah, and not to spoil what we're going to talk about later, but I I thought we would have seen this from an Akron program where there's kind of rumors that your head coach may be leaving, which we'll talk about in a minute. I'm kind of surprised. I, I don't really know what the situation is. Maybe they're pulling a, a Kevin Marks where they're just feeling out their offers, see what's out there and pulling back. I'm kind of interested to see what the rest of the Buffalo's players uh, uh, do in the transfer portal as well. But it's just it's just interesting. The Mac we've seen a bunch of transfer portals. I think Bowling Green had one today. It's just it's just a wild scene in the Mac. We've seen a bunch of huge quarterback names come in, and we all now we're seeing a bunch of just like players potentially leave. Yeah, it is interesting, and we've talked about it. You know, we talked about it last week. It's this new era where the transfer portal is kind of empowering players. You're seeing so much more player movement than you used to where it used to be a guy would commit to a school and he was there for four years. And now it's just not the case anymore. It's really not, you know, guys 
they'll go into, you know, what they think is a good situation for them. And if it doesn't work out for them in their freshman year or their sophomore year, they're going to go elsewhere if they think it provides them a better opportunity to play or the circumstances are better, whatever the case may be. It's certainly an adjustment as a college football fan to, you know, it seems like uh, it's almost like free agency has has been has come to the college ranks. I'm not saying I'm I'm for it or against it uh, either way. It's just it, it's been an interesting change here over the last couple of years. Yeah, and a, and as we mentioned, I think it was last week. Hustle Belt has a transfer portal to keep track of all the transfer news. So if you want to check out who's leaving or who came in your program uh, this offseason, be sure to check that out as well. But we've we've got some Akron news, some kind of potentially major news if it if it's deemed to be true. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, put this in the category of news that surprised me where. Um, Pete Thamel on Twitter, who's a national college football and basketball writer for Yahoo Sports, uh, he reported the other day that uh, Akron head football coach Tom Arth is a, is a, has emerged as a target for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers coaching staff. Now, anyone who might be a little bit baffled by that, um, the connection there is that um, Brandon Staley, who was just recently named the head coach of the Chargers, Brandon Staley uh, worked at John Carroll University where Tom Marth uh, had worked with him, and they, they both worked at Chattanooga as well. Tom Marth was the head coach at Chattanooga before coming back up to Akron a couple years ago uh, to take over the Zips program. So there's a strong connection there. They're, they both have those John Carroll, Northeast Ohio ties. So um, you got – I mean, I, I could understand Tom Arth wanting to entertain an NFL job I don't know though. It seems it's it seems a bit odd. I mean, if I'm if I'm him, I think you just endured the worst of it these last two years at Akron, and seem things seem to be pointing upward. Um, I guess I don't know if I would call a, a coordinator job or a position coach job in the NFL a step backwards, but you have the chance right now to really put your your stamp on a program and and really build a program in your own image in the way that you want to do it. I would think that that would be a hard thing to give up. Um, I don't know. This was a story that that surprised me a little bit, Sam. Yeah, I, I didn't know personally he had the connection before the tweet. It was kind of surprising to see. But at the same time, I, 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 I would kind of like you, I would be surprised if he decided to leave. It seemed like they just kind of turned a corner. What they needed was just at least a win because, of course, you have the 2019 season where they went 0-12, and and he was just searching for his first win. He got that. It seemed like slowly but surely, kind of like the Northern Illinois program, they were they were slowly turning a corner. They were getting better in it every game. Yes, they went 1-5, and but you could see the players and how they performed, and they were getting better and better. So 2021, if he he decides to stay – Akron may not be a contender right now, but if he decides to stick around in two, three years, they certainly could be. Or even if it's not two, three years, it's four years down the road, where the case is. But I think Tom Arth is the guy for is the guy for the Akron job. And I think we'll see we'll see improvement year after year within the program if he decides to stay. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's it's so funny to me. You know, I look at this tweet that Pete Thamel put out, and you see the comments on this tweet. And, and you can tell that these people must not follow the Mac and, and must not pay attention to Akron football because you see comments on here where it's like, you know, uh, get him out of here one in 17 in two years. He was a failure at Akron, stuff like that. Anyone that's saying that clearly has no idea the position that the Zips program was in two years ago 
when uh, when Tom Arth took over. You know, he had to completely rebuild their recruiting base there in Northeast Ohio. Their former staff really didn't recruit locally at all, which is absurd because Northeast Ohio is a great, great uh, high school football area with tons of talent. So Tom Arth did not come into a good situation there. And I think all things considered, he's done a really good job, even though it might not show up in the, in the win loss uh, column. I think he's doing a great job there. And I think he'll continue to build that program. And I think here over the next couple of years, like you said, Sam, I can see the zips getting a lot better. If he sticks around, if he were to leave right now in the middle of recruiting season, you know, a couple of weeks before national signing day, the zips would be in a really, really bad spot. I don't know who they'd be able to hire uh, this late in the game to, to take over for him. So um you know, hoping for our friends over at Zips United and all of our Akron fans that are listening to us. I hope he stays. These are just rumors at this point, but they are coming from credible sources. So I don't know. We'll have to see how this plays out. Yeah, I, th- I think it's just interesting because anybody who knows uh, the Mac, especially, we've seen a bunch of coaches have those struggles first year. We uh, coming in this season, Mike New is 15 and 33. He just went seven and one. Chris Creighton struggled for his first two years. I think Thomas Hammock is what, like five and 13 at this point? Oh, something, yeah, something along those lines. Like it takes time to build a program. So you can't judge him off the first two years, which I think is a lot of problem because you, of course, want to see progress within your first couple of years, but that's not what it takes to build a program that's that's going to sustain. So for anybody saying one in 17, you just have to give them time at the end of the day. And yeah. That, that that's basically my kind of uh, tiny rant. But Zach, we, we've got a, uh, we've got some academic all Mac news. Yeah. Yeah. A cool story here, uh, guys, the other day, uh, last Friday, the Mac announced their, um, you know, uh, all ac- academic, all Mac football team, 190 uh, student athletes made the list. Now this isn't uh, like a, you know, a, an athletic, all Mac team where they pick one person at each position. And so there's 11 on each side of the ball. That's, that's not the case at all. The only qualifier here is that um, a student athlete has to have a 3.2 cumulative GPA and have to have participated in at least 50% of the contests for that particular sport. So most of our teams here, unless they had any uh, cancellations, you're looking at, at playing at a minimum of three games. So um, again, 190 football players qualified on that list this year, uh, Ball State, the Cardinals actually led the way with 26 players on the team. Eastern Michigan and Miami uh, both uh, followed close behind with 20 honorees each. Obviously, we're not going to go through all 190 names here uh, in this show. That, that would take us quite a while. If you want to take a look at the list, though, uh, it's on uh, the Max website, getsomeaction.com. They break it down by, by each school and, and how many players they put on the list. Uh, but a, a nice performance in the classroom as well as on the field this year for the Cardinals, Sam. Uh, yeah, the, I, I think they had, what, 26? Uh, 26 total. that led the conference, yeah. But uh, one quick uh, thing that I, th- I saw was cool. You, you guys, as you, as you mentioned, uh, can look at the list of the 190 names. Is Dustin Crum, I did not know he's uh, majoring in aerospace engineering. Wow, I didn't even notice that either. When when now that you say that though, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So yeah, I, I think it's cool to see who who's all uh, what majors and whatnot. I think that's pretty cool because not only are they athletes, they're also students. Like the NCAA likes to portray whether or not you want to get into that or not. But yeah, yeah no doubt. That that yeah. reminds me. You saying that about Dustin Crum? That reminds me of. Uh, the Steelers third string quarterback, Josh Dobbs, who went to Tennessee in college, 
Uh, he was an aerospace engineering major. And I remember hearing the story about him whenever the Steelers drafted them was that, you know, if he, he didn't, if he, if the football wasn't an option, he had a job offer from NASA on the table. So, uh, Hey, maybe Dustin Crum can do the same thing. I hope he gets drafted in the NFL. I'm sure he will. If he has another good season last year or next year, I should say, but with an aerospace engineering degree, it seems like he'll have a pretty good safety net to fall back on. Yeah, no doubt. But with that being said, we're going to move into our Twitter question. So Zach, if you want to take it away. Yeah, no doubt. So, guys, we talked uh, last week about our new uh, rivalry segment that we're doing here uh, over the next month with, uh, you know, looking at some of the, the highlights of the best rivalries in the MAC. Uh, this first one, uh, this first week, we wanted to start out with the Battle of I-75 between Bowling Green and Toledo, uh, separated by only 20 miles there uh, in Northeast Ohio. And actually, Sam, before we get into the responses here, I wanted to read something that I found. I was doing a little bit of research on this rivalry, trying to learn the background of it. And uh, I came across this little, this little tidbit here that I wanted to read because I thought it was kind of funny. But um, so I didn't know this, but the, the current, or I shouldn't say they don't, the, the, the trophy that they played for for quite some time, they called the Peace Pipe Trophy, which I thought was an odd name. And so I, I went in to uh, do some research on this, and it says here, the rivalry between Toledo and Bowling Green goes back to 1919. The games are marked by passionate fan falling and a hatred for the respective opponent. In 1935, fans rioted following a 63-0 blowout win by Toledo. And as a result, Bowling Green removed the Rockets from their schedules until 1947. That year, the smoking of a six-foot peace pipe was instated as a gesture of goodwill between the two teams at halftime of their annual basketball match. The peace pipe would be kept by the winning university until the teams played again the following season. The tradition came to an abrupt and unpleasant end in 1969 when the pipe was stolen from the Toledo offices. It was never recovered, and the thief was never caught that's a wild story to me. And whenever I read that, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, uh, yeah. Th that's why you love college football right there. The tradition, the history. I, I didn't know that, but I mean, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if a Bowling Green fan had, had that peace pipe in a uh, basement somewhere. Yeah. Hidden, yeah, exactly. Hidden away in, in storage or something. You never know. So uh, it was, um, it was lost or it was stolen in 1969 in 1980, the peace pipe trophy was reinstated. Uh, and now that the trophy that they played for is a scaled down replica, it was fashioned and placed on top of a trophy created by uh, former Toledo football player, Frank Kralik. Um, but anyway, to get to the responses this week, Sam, um, the first one I, I had to laugh at um, our friend, Alex Ray, one of the co-hosts, or actually the Alex Shear, one of the co-hosts of the college sports connection podcast, uh, a, uh, a Toledo, uh, big Toledo fan said, uh, best memories are every time Toledo beats the pigeons. I had to laugh at him calling Bowling Green the pigeons. Barbaro acting said, uh, 2005 at Bowling Green, uh, the football game, he had a couple of field passes with his best friend, Bruce Gradkowski, Pittsburgh legend threw a t touchdown pass to win the game in overtime. Um, he had been tailgating all day, had had a couple adult beverages and ran into the end zone and jumped in on the group celebration on ESPN. And uh, the Toledo Blade had a pick of him the next day and of his buddy essentially calling the shot. I don't know about you, Sam. That's a pretty awesome story right there. I mean, anytime you get uh, anytime you get featured on like that, that's that's pretty incredible, especially on the field. Like I'm, I may try to do that one football game if we're let back in. <laughs> 
Uh, storm the field. Yeah, there you go. And then uh, our Barbaro acting again responded that uh, at the Mac uh, cross country championships in 2000 at Western Michigan, a bunch of Bowling Green male runners that weren't running had painted their chest uh, and the geniuses stood next to each other. I say geniuses in quotes, just reading his tweet, stood next to each other, spelling out BGSUXC has Bowling Green sucks. I'll never forget that. You'd think they might have wanted to think that through a little bit before they stood next to each other in that succession. You know, I never understood how like spelling like that goes wrong. Like you, you can read what you say, like you're in there, in there in college, nonetheless, like, like I, I never understood, like, I've seen like bands, like, like stand next to each other and then like spell something bad. Like I, I just, I just never understood that how it just turns out like that. Yeah, you'd think if you have if you put in the effort to paint your chest like that, you could take a couple extra minutes to coordinate the order you're going to stand in and make sure that it makes sense and isn't embarrassing or anything like that, which I thought that was funny. And then our friends, uh, again, at the College Sports Connection podcast, um, or I'm assuming this was Alex that wrote this, said the close nail biters. There was a game in the Glass Bowl in 2013 that was a nail biter. Uh, between the two and that one ended up being a 28 to 25 Toledo victory and that right there actually happened in the middle of a streak where uh, from 2010 to 2018 Toledo won nine straight against the Falcons which honestly Sam that that's a bit surprising to me because Toledo's always good right but in that stretch there in the 2010s there are some very very good bowling and green teams in that time as well you think about 2014 2015 with Dino Babers as head coach Bowling Green was scoring on everybody, but they just weren't able to get over the hump. Uh, Bowling Green obviously broke that streak in 2019 when they beat the Rockets, but then Toledo won again this past year. So now at this point, Toledo's won 11 of 12 in the football field. That, that's incredible right there. Uh, but uh, Zach, uh, we decided we're doing Central Michigan and uh, Western, right? That's right. We'll do, we're going to be doing the, the Chippewas and the Broncos uh, this coming week. Much like these two teams here, we know that there is no love lost between uh, these two fan bases. I know our um, creative director here at the Hustle Belt, uh, James Jimenez, is not shy to talk about his disdain for the Broncos, as are any of the Chippewa fans that follow us on Twitter and and, and interact with us. We all know how they feel about um, the Broncos. We know how the Broncos feel about the Chippewa. So we'll be putting that... um, that one up on Friday when the new episode gets posted. So feel free, Chippewas fans, Broncos fans, or any Mac fans in general, throw your uh, your favorite memories in there, the best games um, from that rivalry, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, any sports really. We want to hear them all. We're looking forward to seeing what you guys can come up with next week. Yeah, hopefully if uh, Drunk Buster is listening, he can get back into the fold because that was that was quite an, an uh, experience when he was involved in that uh, bracket challenge. But anyway, it's time for some hoops talk. Uh, Zach, we had we had a decent amount of games this week. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly... 
it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Yeah, we did. Uh, conference play is in, uh, is in full swing. And uh, man, I tell you what, on the men's side of the, the fence this week, Sam, some really some nail biters, some really good games. Um, I wanted to start with uh, from this past weekend on Saturday, um, Toledo finally got knocked off in a conference game here, Sam. They went to Akron on Saturday to take on the Zips. Uh, 95 to 94, Akron knocked off the Rockets in overtime. Um, Toledo led most of the game. Akron was down by three uh, with less than 10 seconds left. Ali Ali's three with uh, 4.8 left to go. Tied it up at 83, sent it to overtime. Even when we got to overtime, Toledo kind of took control once again. They were up 92 to 85 with a minute 46 left. But uh, Akron was able to, to get us a couple stops. And over the, last, uh, over the last minute 46 of the game, outscored the Rockets 10 to 2. Lauren Christian Jackson uh, looked like he was in top form. Uh, hearkening back to some of his pr- great performances from last year, 34 points, seven assists, five rebounds, 10 for 22 from the field. Uh, Brian Triple Jr. had 19 for the Zips. Uh, this was just a great basketball game, Sam. I mean, this Toledo team, when they're when they're playing good on offense, they they nobody can stop them. Marion Jackson had 24 and 10 assists in this game. Spencer Littleson had 21. Ryan Rollins had 13. Cedric Milner had 16. This was just a great – if you like up-and-down basketball and you like offense on, on the basketball court, this was the game for you. Yeah, what I really like about Toledo's game and why they're having such success is every game they have at least four to five people in double-digit scoring. That Anybody on that floor can can score, and that's 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 an amazing thing to have when – you you have a conference where you generally have like one or two like obviously Lauren Christian Jackson and a score and you have a couple other guys but not a lot of the other teams have more than two to three scores so when you not only have to defend one guy but you have to focus on four to five shooters it's really tough to score and I, I think that's Toledo's kind of bread and butter where they they can just spread you out and they can have uh, five to six uh, ten, 10 plus point scores each game. No, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, you're exactly right, Sam. And, you know, th- this is a team, you know, you got four guys averaging in, uh, in double digits. And then uh, J2 Shmati's at, at 9.1. So he, he's right there as well. You got, I mean, Marion Jackson, Ryan Rollins, Spencer Littleson, Milner, Shumati. These are all guys that not only they threats to score, but they, they stretch the floor, right? They can all shoot. They can all get to the rim. Marion Jackson is, uh, is a great point guard. He's averaging 5.6 assists per game. This is a team that just has so many weapons on offense. Now, defensively, they do struggle sometimes, as evidenced by, you know, in this game here, you give up 95 points. You're not going to win many games when you give up 95 points. Now, they're, they're still – they're fourth in the league in, uh, in scoring defense, but they're, uh, they're you know – they, they have the, that defensive effort, but it seems to come and go for them. So it's it seems to be there more than it's not, but they still, you know – you're giving up, you know, close to 70 in the eighties. A lot of these games, they can outscore people, but you got to be able to rely on your defense when, when times get tough. And so if I'm Toledo, I think that's where I'm concerned. I, I, I wouldn't even say concerned, but they're so good on offense that if they can just tighten things up just a little bit on defense, 
I don't know if there's many teams in this conference that are going to be able to beat them. Yeah, and um, a quick shout out to Ali Ali, not only an Indiana guy, uh, Kendallville, Indiana, so shout out to him. But that three you mentioned, that was his only made field goal of the game. So yeah. he, he shot two for the game. That was his only made field goal of the game. And to step up like that when you haven't shot the ball well or at all, really, in that game is just incredible. So shout out to him for not only that shot, but from being Indiana while doing it. So, yeah. But, uh, Zach, we've got a couple other games to mention. I, I say we take it to the Michigans. We, we had Central Michigan take on Eastern Michigan. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to touch on this game a little bit just because it feels like there's so many good teams at the top of the conference this year. We haven't talked as much about the Eagles and the Chippewas thus far this season. To be honest with you, this was a game – for Central Michigan, it started to feel like the season might be slipping away a little bit. They really needed to get a win here. They had a couple tough losses against Bowling Green. They played a really tough schedule. So getting a win for them uh, was going to be big for their conference or for their confidence, excuse me. And they pulled one out. They got the 75-64 victory over the Eagles. Um, Travon Broadway for Central Michigan, he's playing at a really high level right now. He had a career-high 25 in this game, or I should say a career-high at the time. He broke his own career-high five in this game, nine for 16 from the field. Um, Eastern Michigan, just they just continued to struggle on offense. They were three for 24 from three-point land in this game. They got 19 and 14 from Yakes and Montero, but um, they just, they, this is a team, again, they, they struggle to put the ball in the basket. They're ninth in the conference right now in, uh, in, in points per game. They're, you know, they're uh, 10th in field goal percentage. They're not getting many stops. They're, they're 11th in field goal percentage defense. The Eagles right now, they only have one conference win on the season. They are the only team that Central Michigan has beaten. Central Michigan's 2-0 against the, the Eagles and 0-4 against everyone else. So these are two teams here. Again, they're kind of trending downwards. They're at the bottom of the standings. This was a big win for the confidence for Central Michigan. Eastern Michigan, though, you know, you're, you're still you're struggling at this point in time. And it's, you know, you struggle to see where they're going to get wins from. They got a couple games coming up against uh, Western Michigan and Northern Illinois. You'd like to think they can pick up a win or two there. But still, these are two teams. Again, we haven't talked much about them. Wanted to touch on them a little bit. But these are two teams right now that seem to be struggling on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think this game right here tells the story of why they're in the bottom of the conference. I mean, when you shoot... You know, three of 24 from three, you can live with that. But when you shoot 36% from the field, not three-point uh, range, which would be actually a kind of decent, three, yeah. actually a three decent three-point mark. But when you shoot that from the field, you're just not going to win very many games. And that's why they're one in four in conference. That's why they're below 500 record. And that's why they're uh, third from the bottom in the 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 conference and and you mentioned we haven't really talked about all, uh, them a whole lot. I mean, it's there's not a whole lot to talk about. I'm sorry, there's just not. It's just it's just a disappointing season all around. You have got you have a guy who's shooting one for twelve from the field. Like, yeah, you're yeah. just th this just isn't Eastern Michigan's year by any means. No, I, I agree with you, and I think the thing that separates these two teams right now, and if I'm a central Michigan the fan, the thing that still gives me hope a little bit is that at least central Michigan has an identity. They are, you know, they, they play a lot of guards. They spread you out. They're going to play fast. Central Michigan is good 
good on the offensive side of the ball. They're fourth in the conference. They're averaging 80 points a game. The issue for the Chippewas is that they're last in the conference in scoring defense. And so with Central Michigan, when they're able to get up and down the floor and when they're hitting shots and when Trevon Broadway and Michael uh, Mitchell are hitting their shots, this is a team that can outscore some people and can surprise some people. I think when you look at the other side with Eastern Michigan, there doesn't seem to be an identity there. I don't think they really know who they are. This is a team that had a ton of turnover from last year. They brought in some junior college transfers. Obviously the off season was all messed up because of the pandemic and, and, you know, stuff of that nature. So I think this is a team struggling to find an identity right now. It's tough to find an identity in the middle of the season, especially in the Mac where there's no nights off. Every team's, you know, pretty competitive. Yeah, I, I will say that, but Zach, I like for me, for me, Central Michigan, the one thing that comes down, do you ever have a loss that just sticks in your mind that you just can't get past? And that <laughs> yeah. for me is that D2 loss. Like, yeah, I, I wish I could, but I just can't, I just can't move past it. It's just, no, just stuck yeah. in my mind. No, I, I, I'm not defending Central Michigan. I, I certainly, I, you know, I agree with you. Not only did they lose that game to Flagler, though. I mean, they lost that game by 19 points. I mean, Flagler scored 92 points on them. And it goes back to what I was saying. This is a team, they can get up and down the floor and they can score the basketball, but they've given up over 90 points six times this year. Um, or I'm sorry, five times this year. In a sixth game, they gave up 89. So you might as well call it six times. So if you're giving up 90 points on a regular basis, you're not going to win many games. So they got to figure something out on the defensive end. Keno Davis has got to get these guys rallied on, on defense and, and, you know, uh, figure something out because what they've been doing hasn't been working. They try to press a lot and turn the ball over. The problem is though, you know, a team, you know, they break the press. They have a good point guard and good guard play. You break the press. Now you're, you're struggling to get back on defense. You're not situated. Teams can score in transition pretty easily. I think that's part of the problem for the Chippewa. So we'll see if they're able to, to figure anything out on that end of the floor moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we, we got fun, one final uh, men's game to talk about. We've got Buffalo Kent state that went down to the wire um, this past week. Yeah. I tell you what uh, this game last night, this was a, a tale of two halves. Uh, Kent state came out in the first half and they could not miss. Kent State was on fire. They led 47-26 at halftime, and it looked like they were going to run away with this one. Uh, Buffalo came out the second half on fire. Those They started the second half on a 20-4 to run and uh, really cut that lead down pretty quickly. Kent State, it got to the point where Buffalo was up by six points in this game, had all the momentum with two minutes to go, but uh, Kent State got five consecutive stops to close out the game. Uh, Jonathan Williams... Uh, for Buffalo had an open three uh, with 17 seconds left when Buffalo was down one. He wasn't able to hit it. Uh, and Kent State hit a couple free throws at the end of the game to give you the final uh, score, 84 to 81. Uh, Mike Nuga with another great game for the Golden Flashes. He had 23. If I'm a Kent State fan, though, a thing that encourages me a little bit is that Danny Pippen uh, did not have his best night here. Uh, only six points and seven rebounds. He was two for seven from the field. He struggled with foul trouble in this game. He had four fouls, so was in and out of the game a lot for the second half. And even with him, um, you know, not there all the time in the second half and having to play with four fouls, they still found a way to uh, to get the win here. This is a really nice win for Kent State. They moved to four and two in the conference. Uh, they're playing really good basketball right now. They've won four in a row. I'll tell you what, Zach, you mentioned Kent State. I'm going to be honest. I'm disappointed in where Buffalo's at. They have the talent yeah. level 
from top to bottom to be where Toledo is. I think they should be seven and one, if not six and two, where Bowling Green is. From top to bottom, Jonathan Williams and Bala Segu, Javon Graves. Like, why isn't this team doing better? They're five and five, three and three. They should not be a middle of the pack below Ball State team. In that Ball State team, that, that Ball State game where they just absolutely floored is what they should do to every single team besides maybe Toledo and Bowling Green. Other than that, there's just no excuse. Buffalo should be better where they're at. They have the talent level to do it. You sh- you saw in that second half what they're capable of. I just don't understand why they don't have the consistency. Uh, Imbala played his heart out with 22 points. Nathan Williams, 20. Say you, 19. And you still just, you just can't get it done. Yeah, you know, I, I think the more I watch Buffalo, I think the issue that the Bulls have is depth. This is a team where you have four your your top four for Buffalo is as good as anybody in the conference. You mentioned Jonathan Williams and Imbala, Javon Graves and uh, Renato Segu. Those four guys, I'd put them up against any anybody in the conference. But you look at take this Kent State game for example. You have five points from the bench. The re- you know you know seventy six of your eighty one points are coming from your starters. That's not sustainable. So I think if if I'm Buffalo. I need to figure out a way to get some of these, you know, rotation players a little bit more involved and get a little bit more consistency from them. Because as great as Jonathan Williams and Imbala and uh, and Graves are, they can't carry the whole load every single night. And if one of them has an off night, like Graves did last night, he was two for 12 from the field, had five points. When that happens and, and you have so much on the shoulders of those guys, you're going to run into problems. And so, you know, you start to become a little bit predictable when teams can, you know, look at film and, and see how you run your offense and stuff like that. So I think depth is the problem for the Bulls because I, I agree with you completely, Sam. I think from a talent perspective, they have as much talent as anyone in this conference. They just, uh, you know, recently don't seem to be able to put it together. They, ha- they lost at home the other night to Bowling Green, which there's no shame in that. Bowling Green's a great team. But then you go on the road here and follow that up with another disappointing performance against Kent State. You know, the I think the Bulls have to have some things to figure out right now. Yeah, I agree. And uh, shout out to Kent State for another great performance. They they seem to be turning heads. I don't think a lot of people had Kent stay as high as they are now, and they're they're definitely showing why they're a formidable opponent in the MAC. But uh, Zach, I think it's uh, time to move on to some uh, women's uh, MAC talk. Yeah, let's do it. I think we had some. Uh, some great games this week in, uh, in in on the women's side of things. We'll start off with, um, you know, a, a team that we've talked a lot about, Sam. The Ohio Bobcats got a huge win uh, this past weekend. They went up to uh, Mount Pleasant against Central Michigan and knocked off the Chippewas 93-84. to If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how um, one of the most impressive victories on the women's side early in the season – was Central Michigan going down to Athens and beating the Bobcats on their home court. Well, Ohio returned the favor this week and went up to Central Michigan and stole a victory in Mount Pleasant. Uh, you know, Ohio came out in this game uh, and really, you know, I don't want to say they dominated, but they, they, they took control from the get-go. They were up 26 to 14 after the first quarter. A really, another really nice game from Erica Johnson, for uh, the the uh, the Bobcats, she had 26 and four, and then her uh, her partner in crime, Stacey Hooks, followed up with uh, with 26 of her own. 
And I tell you what, Sam, this uh, this Ohio team, they can score with anybody. They're still, you know, they're first in the conference in uh, in points per game at 82. I still worry about their defense a little bit. They're last in the conference in in, in defense at 78.7 points per game. But, I mean, they know what they're good at. They do it well. They can score with anybody. They have kind of crept back up into the top of the standings here. You know, they lost a couple games to start the conference play and uh, found themselves at a little bit of a disadvantage. But with this win, they've kind of crept back up into the conversation of teams at the top of the top of the pack. Yeah, uh, I wanted to talk on Central Michigan real fast. They're just in a bad slide right now of just three straight losses. They had that 30-point loss to Northern Illinois. They had that double-digit loss to Ohio we're talking about. And then they just lost to Eastern Michigan. And what's the great thing about the MAC is despite those losses, they're still they're still in the, the thick of things. They're still uh, hanging around uh, at five and three, still tied at, at uh, with Eastern Michigan at that fourth spot. So anything can happen between uh, here and there. So Central Michigan can definitely figure things out. They got a game against Akron, Toledo, and Buffalo next. So hopefully they can get figured things out. But Ohio, as you mentioned, yeah, they're they're looking really scary. They just got a win against Buffalo. They just got that win against uh, Central Michigan. And coming off that loss against Ball State, it was kind of shaky. But these last two wins have proven really impressive for me. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. And, you know, to kind of expand upon something that you just said, before we move on to the next game, I think the, the parity on the women's side here this year in the MAC is awesome. You have... Bowling Green tied for second place right now at five and two. You go down to ninth place, Ball State. They're three and three. The ninth place team in the conference right now is two games out of first place. That's awesome. That's awesome, I think. So, I mean, Miami, Ohio, and Western Michigan and Akron at the very bottom of the standings, they're having rough years. But I think Teams one through nine from Kent State at four and zero all the way down to Ball State at three and three. All nine of those teams can legitimately feel like they still have a chance to win this conference, and that to me is a great thing. You love to see parity like that. I wish every league was like that. I hate seeing leagues that are so top heavy where you know halfway through the season it's a two team race or a three team race. I love it when there's t- it's it's like this where so many teams are so close together that every game matters so much. Yeah, no doubt. And um, next up, we got uh, Northern Illinois um, getting a okay win against a uh, struggling Miami team. Yeah, you know, I I just I wanted to include this game because Northern Illinois, what a streak they went on here over the last few weeks. Now, um, to I guess kind of foreshadowing to the next game we're going to talk about their their winning streak was broken here tonight. Uh, We're recording on Wednesday. They, They fell at Toledo. But um, we talked about Northern Illinois last week. They were my team of the week. They defeated Bowling Green and Central Michigan in back-to-back games um, and followed that up with a road win at Miami uh, this past weekend, 87-79. to And this is a team that just for, for that entire streak, really, really shooting the ball well. They were 10 for 20 from three-point land uh, in this game against Miami, uh, 42% overall from the field. Uh, Crystal Coker had 29 points for the Huskies in this game, and she's been really good here um, over the last couple of weeks. So the Huskies, this is a team that started 0-2 in the conference and then won four straight games. So you really, 
this is one of those teams. They're still right there in the middle of the pack that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you might've thought that they were out of it, but they've really proven here over the last couple of weeks that, you know, they've, they've picked things up and they've shown that they are a contender in this conference. Uh, if they could just get some consistency. And, and that kind of like brings us back to our point earlier in the season when you just have to wait and see, because the first couple of games do, do kind of forecast your season, but You've still got a lot of games to go. I think there's 20 plus uh, total games in this season. So these teams that are uh, four and four in conference, Toledo, 10th place, Ball State, three and three, they're still very much alive. You, even Miami, Ohio, with six games back, are still are still alive. So yeah. anything can happen between now and uh, March. So we just have to wait and see. But yeah, Miami, Ohio against Northern Illinois just had an Eastern Michigan type game we just talked about them how they shot 30 percent from the field Miami Ohio shot 38 percent from from the field 25 percent from three-point lane like I said with Eastern Michigan that's not going to get it done and yes you almost closed it out with a uh eight point loss you almost had that win but most nights you're just not going to be able to get that done shooting uh 38 percent from the field yeah, and if, if I'm the Red Hawks, if I'm a Miami fan right now, it's uh, it has been a, a tough season. I mean, this is a team 11th in the league in scoring offense, 11th in the league in scoring defense, 12th in the league in field goal percentage defense. Just you know, similar to what we talked about with uh, you know when, when we talk you know on the on the men's side of things, you look at you know Northern Illinois and, and Western Michigan teams that are just in a little bit of a rebuilding situation this year. You get the sense with you know like that with with Miami. And, um, you know, but with Northern Illinois, again, a, a really impressive run here over the last couple of weeks. They again, they did lose uh, here tonight, but still, I, I'm, I'm impressed with what I've seen over the last couple of weeks for the Huskies. I got to rep- um, I got to uh, I got to uh, correct myself. I I called her uh, Crystal Coker. First name Shelby Coker. So that's my apologies, Shelby, if you're listening. She's fifth in the conference right now, 20 points per game. So there's certainly some bright thoughts for the Huskies. Um, that brings us, though, again, into our next game here, which just happened tonight. Uh, Toledo went to or I'm sorry, Northern Illinois went to Toledo and um, weren't able to pull this one out. They fell 67 to 62 to the Rockets. They were actually up by five points going into uh, into the fourth quarter there. Out got outscored 22 to 12 by Toledo. But um, again, this just speaks to the parity in the conference right now. Toledo with the win tonight moves to four and four in conference play. Husky sitting there at four and three. So these are two teams right still in the thick of things. Um, I don't think anybody had either of them near the top of the conference at the beginning of the season. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about Buffalo and Bowling Green and Kent State and teams like that. But, uh, you know, Northern Illinois is sitting at four and three. And uh, Toledo sitting at four and four. They're both right there in the thick of things in this. And, and you know, we just keep coming back to that common theme of parity. And that seems to be the, the case this year on the women's side. Yeah. And with this game, I could clearly talk about shooting because it seems like no one wants to hit a shot in these games, apparently. <laughs> and I don't know whether that's just good offense or bad defense in these games. But the one thing I will point out is the, the turnover differential. And not only did Northern Illinois shoot 39% from the field, not only did they shoot 29% from the three-point line, they had 20 turnovers. You just yeah. can't get that done. That's the reason Ball State lost on the men's side thing to Miami, Ohio. It was just turnovers. They just couldn't help themselves. Toledo only had 10. Yes, they shot 34% from the field and 17% from the three-point land, and they they won by five. And so I think that clearly shows that turnovers was the main difference in this game. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when, when you look at the box score of this game, 
turnovers are the only reason Northern Illinois lost. I mean, they, they outshot Toledo 39% to 34%. They shot um, a better, you know, they out-rebounded them 45 to 42, uh, had more assists than the Rockets. Usually when you win all of those categories, you're going to win the game most of the time. And just like you said, with the, with turnovers tonight, they just weren't able to, uh, to put it all together, unfortunately. So, you know, Northern Illinois, again, before tonight, they, they had won four in a row. They have a chance uh, to bounce back with a big game uh, coming up on Saturday against Kent State at home. Kent State obviously sitting at the top of the conference at 4-0, so that'll be a, a big game on Saturday. Uh, no doubt, and um, with that being said, uh, Zach, let, let's talk about our players of the week. I'll let you start uh, first on the men's side of thing. Side yeah, of um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think for me, um, I got to give a, a shout out to Trayvon Broadway from from Central Michigan. This is a guy who continues to play at a really high level, uh, even though uh, the Chippewas are having a tough season. Um, he had a career high uh, 25 points in their victory over Eastern Michigan on Saturday. But then he followed that up last night with another career high when he scored 27 for the Chippewas against, uh, against Toledo. So, you know, this is just a guy that um, I, I, I respect, you know, he seems like a good leader. You, you read stories about central Michigan and he continues to talk about how he enjoys being a veteran presence on the team and making sure that the team stays engaged through the, the tough start to Mac play that they've had. But even just from a personal perspective, I mean, this is a guy averaging 17 and a half points a game, 5.6 rebounds. He's shooting 48% from the field, 37.7% from the three-point land. This is a guy that's playing really high-level basketball right now. He's a big guard, 6'5", can get to the rim, can shoot from the outside. I just, I really enjoy watching him play, and I appreciate his attitude, you know, as being a, a kind of a senior leader and a, a guiding presence on a team that's having a rough season. Yeah, that, that's not a bad shout. I went with uh, Mike Nuga from Kent State. A lot of people uh, talk about Danny Pippen, and it's rightfully deserved. But I decided to look into Mike Nuga's last five games, 18 points against Toledo uh, on January 5th. On January 9th, Western Michigan, 26 points. On January 12th, Central Michigan, 18 points. Ohio, 16 points. Buffalo, 23 points. So not only is he really my player of the week, he's he looks like the player of the month. And a lot, of, and we and Danny Pippen gets a lot of the credit for deserves. But Mike Nuga definitely deserves some of that credit with the leadership he provides. He's a senior and he's from Canada, but he's he's just been balling. I think it's rightfully deserves that he gets that he gets his uh, limelight. No, I agree with you completely, Sam. And you talk about a guy that is scoring at a high level and doing it efficiently. I mean, this guy is averaging 19 points a game, shooting 50% from the field, 38.5% from three-point land. Those are some impressive shooting numbers right now. This is a guy who uh, he can do it all. Like you know, I just said about Trayvon Broadway, you know, he can get to the basket. He can shoot from the outside. He's also, as a guard, only 6-2, he's averaging six rebounds a game too. So this is a guy that has been um, a, a really, really good pickup for uh, for Kent State. You know, he, he didn't uh, – he transferred in from Portland State where he played his freshman year um, – or I'm sorry, his sophomore year a couple years ago and had to sit out last season. So this is a guy who's been a really nice surprise uh, for the Golden Flashes thus far this year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Zach, who you got on the women's side of things? 
You know, for this uh, this one here, I went with Oshlin Brown from Ball State. Uh, Ball State only had one game this week, uh, last Wednesday, where uh, they won versus Ohio in overtime. And Oshlin Brown, a big reason for that, uh, career highs with both points and rebounds. She had 21 and 19 in that game. That was a game that the, the Cardinals really needed to win. Uh, you know, got them back to 500 in conference play. They're sitting at three and three. We talked about the parity in this league, Sam. And so anytime uh, you you have a game like that, you can't waste a performance like that from one of your best players. Uh, this is a, She's been a consistent player for them for a couple of years now. I know last season she was the MAC uh, player of the week multiple times and uh, really had a, a nice game here for, for a senior leader on this team. Again, 21 and 19. That's a heck of an effort for her. So um, uh, got, you know, got a big win for the Cardinals over the, the Bobcats at home that night. No doubt. I went with a uh, person from Miami, Ohio. I went with Peyton Scott, who's really showed up these uh, pa- this past week, really. This, uh, this last game, 21 points against Western Michigan, 34 points in the previous game against Northern Illinois, averaging 19.3 points as a sophomore for Miami, Ohio. Just really balling out as a guard. Not Miami, Ohio doesn't get talked about, obviously, because they're not having a great season, but Peyton Scott definitely is. She's having uh, noteworthy games. Um, she's uh, three out of four uh, games has been, she scored uh, 20 plus points. So she's just balling out. And I thought she, she deserved to be recognized, even though her team isn't really doing the best. No, I agree with you. I, I can always appreciate, I mean, similar to what I said about Trayvon Broadway, I can always appreciate players who continue to play at a high level, even when the team success around them isn't maybe at the level that they'd like it to be. So shout out to Peyton Scott. Like you said, she's been playing very well lately, shooting the ball well. I mean, uh, 34 points last week uh, and and followed that up with another 21 point effort. So um, yeah, we got to give props to her. She's playing very well right now. Uh, no doubt. And with that being said, on Wednesday, January 20th, um, uh, Tennessee Transfer Portal Day. Zach, is there <laughs> anything left you have to add to this episode? You know, the one thing, one game that we didn't get a chance to talk about that I wanted to touch on briefly here on the men's side, this uh, this Akron Bowling Green game that just happened last night. And, you know, I don't know about you, Sam, but these are two teams right now that I just, I can't figure them out. I, I, I can't, there's, there seems to be no consistency here. I mean, Bowling Green started this, the, the max season playing as good as anybody, and they still have some of the best wins in the conference. I mean, they've beaten uh, Buffalo twice now. You know, they, they've beaten, um, you know, they, they've had some great wins. Be, I would say Buffalo, beating Buffalo twice, is, those are their, their best wins thus far. They went on the road to Ohio and won a game in Athens as well. But they've, you know, two of their last three games, both home games, they lost. They got blown out by Ball State last week at home. And then last night, same thing against Akron. They just couldn't seem to hit a shot. And, you know, they, they get held by the Zips to 33% from the field, 8 for 28 from three-point land. Justin Turner was 4 for 16. He only had 13 points. And, um, you know, I just I, – these are two teams right now that seem to be – they're just so inconsistent and they have so much talent. And uh, watching this game last night, I, I couldn't quite figure out – what was going on with the Falcons and Akron came to play. Akron's won two in a row now. Um, so maybe Akron's starting to figure things out. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it just is a matter of uh, Bowling Green Toledo have had just, just too good of runs. If that makes sense, where they just have too great of where, where Bowling Green seemed to rattle off. What was it like six straight wins? Just couldn't yeah. miss a shot. had like several just dominating wins. Eventually, that's just going to run out for you. It's, it's the game basketball. It will. 
you just can't shoot um, lights out uh, every night. Like, yes, Toledo barely lost to Akron, and, but other than that, are still on their winning streak. But eventually, I think Toledo is going to suffer the same thing where it may just be one to two games where they just just shoot terrible and they get maybe a surprising loss here to maybe Miami, Ohio, or maybe here to Akron on February 2nd, whatever the case is. I think for Bowling Green, they're still second in the conference. So unless they rattle off two to three losses, I'm not really worried about this team. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you. And and they ha- will have a chance to uh, to right the ship here over the next few weeks. Their their next three games are against Miami, Ohio, uh, Central Michigan, and Northern Illinois. So certainly uh, three opportunities there for, for them to get back in the win column. All three teams that I think we could both agree that they have more talent than. And Akron on the other side, you know, they've, they've won two in a row now. Uh, two impressive victories against two of arguably the best teams in the conference in Toledo and Bowling Green. They get to follow that up now with all three of the directional Michigan schools. They got Central, Western, and Eastern coming up in their next three games. So an opportunity here for the Zips to kind of go on a little bit of winning streak and, and get some momentum moving forward. Uh, before we wrap up this episode, uh, Zach, is there any uh, games you're looking forward to this week? You know, I think on, on the men's side, uh, Sam, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, um, I think, Ball State, Ohio on Friday night is a good game. I want to see how Ball State bounces back from uh, their disappointing loss to Miami last night, um, Ish Elamine and, and, and the KJ Walton and that team, I think it seemed like they were starting to get some momentum. They had won two in a row, obviously a little bit of a disappointing performance last night. Also on Saturday, I'm really looking forward to Kent state and Toledo, two teams playing at a very, very high level right now. We've talked about Marion Jackson and Ryan Rollins and all those guys on Toledo that can score. We just talked about Mike Nuga and Danny Pippen. I think Kent state and Toledo for me, honestly might be the game of the week on the men's side. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm going to go to the women's side and I'm actually looking forward to that NIU Kent State uh, game for the fact that we haven't really seen Kent State in a while. They're still first in the MAC at 4-0 in conference, 5-2 and overall, and they've had their last two games postponed. And if that NIU game doesn't um, get postponed. This will be the first time we see this Kent State team in action. So I want to see how they respond to this kind of uh, long break. But yeah, um, Zach, that that that'll be that'll be it for the Mac Bandwagon episode 29. I'm your co-host Sam Thoman, joined as usual by Zach Baldor. As usual, have a great uh, Tennessee Transport Portal Day. Get yourself some <laughs> some McDonald's while you're out uh, out and about. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys uh, next Friday.